Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books and Political Science podcast. My name is Heath Brown, and today I have the three authors of political advertising in the United States here to talk about their new book from Westview Press. In order, Erica Franklin Fowler. How are you doing today, Erica? I'm well, thanks. What about you, Michael Franz? Doing great. Thanks for having us. Good. And Travis Riddout, are you there as well? I am. Thank you. Good. It's such a pleasure to have the three of you on. Erica, maybe you can start off and just give us your quick uh, rundown of, of who you are and, and where you are. Sure. So Erica Franklin Fowler, and I'm an assistant professor of government at Wesleyan University and a co-director, along with Mike and Travis, of, of the Wesleyan Media Project, which tracks all political advertising aired on broadcast television and national cable in real time during elections. Good. And Mike, how about yourself? Well, my name is Mike Franz, and I'm Associate Professor of Government and Legal Studies at Bowdoin College in Brunswick, Maine. Good. And Travis, yourself? I am a political science professor across the country at Washington State University. Good. And through the power of the Internet, the four of us are in four different places, but have come together uh, via the Internet to, to talk today. And in the interest of time, let's, let's talk about your, in, your interesting and, and, of course, very timely book, Erica. Um, we think of television advertising and campaigns as a somewhat new thing. Uh, but would you start us off by telling us a little bit about how, how far back this goes in U.S. politics? How long have uh, television advertising been used? Well, television has been around for quite a while, as you know. And um, so television ads really aren't anything new. I would say that uh, to sort of flip the question on its head, that television I think today, in today, today's day and age, is almost seen as the dinosaur in terms of, of campaign strategy. It's the, it's the biggest, the oldest um, way in which uh, uh, campaigns in the modern era have tried to reach citizens. Good. And so, so what about a, a first ad or a first campaign that made significant use of, of television advertising? Um, where, do we, where do we peg this? I mean, I think one of the, the early earliest ads that you you would have to talk about when it comes to television advertising is, of course, the Daisy ad, uh, where if, if you're unfamiliar with the ad, it's definitely worth a, a YouTube lookup. But the ad starts um, with a little girl picking petals off of a daisy, um, and she's counting down backwards, and it, then it goes to the screen where there's a, a countdown to a, a, a nuclear explosion. Obviously, one of the most controversial ads that's ever been aired, um, it was pulled uh, off air almost immediately. So, so Mike, this, this history goes back. How about this from the business side? How big a business is uh, political advertising? Would you, would you give us a couple of indicators of the amounts of money that campaigns and, and other political groups spend on political advertising in a given electoral cycle? Yeah, the, the, uh, political advertising on television and uh, political advertising more generally uh, is a sizable portion of many candidates' budgets. That's uh, not a universal truth because 
campaigns up and down the ballot access voters in, in different ways. But if we're looking at or interested in, say, federal elections and Senate candidates, for example, uh, sort of a traditional sort of big sort of electoral environment, uh, we know that uh, campaigns spend upwards of 45 percent of their campaign budget on uh, media of some form or another, television advertising, online advertising, radio advertising. Uh, even House candidates who have smaller constituencies can spend anywhere between 30 and 40 percent of their entire budget on uh, on media. Uh, it's not easy to get a handle on those numbers, but we, we know that from itemized expenditure reports that candidates make to the Federal Election Commission. And so um, in competitive races, it can be even higher. In presidential elections, it's even higher. And so much of the money being spent in our election environment today is, uh, is, is attempts to reach voters via mass media. Now, Travis, this really does, does beg this question of why. Uh, why do candidates use political ads and do these ads work in the ways that candidates believe they do? Good question. Uh, ads do work. Um, that's not to say that they're going to make all the difference in the world. Um, and ironically, ads seem to work uh, the most in an uncompetitive race where we tend to see fewer ads. Um, but, you know, in a highly competitive, say, Senate race or presidential race, if one side can um, out-advertise the other side by uh, several thousand gross ratings points, then that could, that could make the difference in who wins. Now, this term you use, gross ratings point, would you give us the, the real quick uh, description of what that is? What is, what is that uh, metric that you're using? Um, just uh, the, the percentage of people who are watching TV at a particular time who are, are seeing your ad. Is uh, you know it, it's complicated. It's what uh, the advertising people like to speak in terms of. Oftentimes we just speak in terms of the count of ads or the number of ads that are being aired. Now, Erica, you have this really interesting chapter about the mechanics of building a political ad. Would you walk us through the different types of advertisements, who makes them, and and how they how those ads make it on the air? Sure. Um, the, there are lots of different ways in which uh, ads are created and tested. I assume that's what the chapter that you're referring to. Yep. Um, and there, uh, first, I think the first thing that's important to think about when you think about advertising are that what we what we refer to as the elements of an ad. So thinking about what the length of the ad is, you know, there most ads are 30 seconds on television, although there are um, 15 seconds ad, 15 second ads, there are 60 second ads, and there are sometimes ads that air a lot longer than that. Um, we also track the tone of the ad. So um, in our classification, there are three different types of, of tone of ads. You have pure promotional spots, which are ads that uh, talk only about the favored candidate. There are pure attack ads, which talk only about the opposing candidates, say for the paid for byline. And then the contrast ad would be one that mentions both candidates. So um, as they're putting, as campaign strategists are putting these things together, they're thinking about the, the length, the message, the tone. And then they're going to think very carefully about things like visual images and color. 
um, whether or not they're uh, doing a negative or a positive ad may drive that uh, choice of, of tone and color. So if you're airing a, a negative or an attack ad, it's not unusual to find dark images, um, sometimes grainy quality photos. Um, if you're doing uh, an appeal to enthusiasm, by contrast, you might go for much uh, brighter colors. Um, and then there's evidence to suggest also that campaigns think carefully about the voiceovers that are used. So it's not just the people that you're seeing in the ad, but also who's speaking on camera. Um, we can talk more about this later, but the default voice in, in political advertising tends to be the, the male voice. Um, there are some exceptions to that, but um, political ads are overwhelming, overwhelmingly dominated by men's voices. Um, and so and, and then, of course, the choice of music will also help uh, underscore the, the emotional appeal. So in a negative attack, you might find some ominous music. You might also find you know, some tense or sort of eerie music, whereas in a positive ad, you might be much more likely to see um, uh, more uplifting music. So those oh. are the elements of the ad. Uh, do you want me to continue to talk about um, how they're tested or... Yeah, the testing, I think, is really interesting, if you would. Sure. So there are lots of different ways in which advertising can be tested. Um, there, are, and, and Travis or Mike, feel free to jump in if you want to take it from here. Um, but there are, uh, campaigns will often do um, some initial analysis on the, the voters that they're trying to reach. So they may reach out with a benchmark survey to try to determine how, um, what, how people feel about the issues, how they feel about pr particular candidates, if they know the candidates. And then they're going to start to try to identify what sets of voters um, they will go after. It, campaigns have gotten much more sophisticated about this, such that they're even um, targeting specific individuals instead of just demographic groups now. But still, in terms of advertising, they're generally thinking about these um, uh, segments of the population that they might try to go after. Um, and in terms of uh, the actual testing, there are a variety of different ways in which ads will be tested from focus groups to um, online, uh, what I would call sort of the, the focus group on steroids, which um, Ace Metrics does. And I can kick it over to Travis if he wants to explain a little bit about them and what they do. Yeah, Travis, do you want to give us a, a quick introduction to that, that approach? Sure, it's not too complicated, but what several companies have started doing is uh, getting a, a sample of individuals from across the country and then showing them particular ads online and then gauging their reactions to those ads. And so the great thing about that for campaigns is they can get an almost immediate response as to whether people are finding those ads persuasive, uh, maybe even which parts of the ads they like, uh, which part they don't like, and can even make um, changes to the ad in response to that or take down an ad that's not particularly effective. Now, Mike, despite what you said earlier about the huge amount spent on campaign ads, there are regulations to consider. Uh, would you talk a little bit about some of the broad outlines of what money can and cannot be used on advertising and, and different types of ads at that? Sure. Uh, in fact, the, the a history of campaign finance is actually, uh, in some ways, a, a history also of political advertising financing because the um, many of the provisions of, of uh, campaign finance laws as far back as into the 1970s were designed to respond to the sense that 
campaign advertising was uh, being spent uh, or was consuming a large share of, of campaign budgets and influencing the, the structure of campaigns. Uh, so back into the 1970s, uh, Congress considered legislation that would have prevented members of Congress from spending a, more than a certain percentage of their campaign funds uh, on political ads. Uh, that's not in effect uh, currently, but Congress uh, debated that and momentarily um, uh, put that into effect. There were provisions uh, for a while that limited uh, campaigns in total from how much money they could spend. And there have been provisions in place for a while that have prevented uh, large collections of funds from funding uh, political advertisements if they uh, directly advocated for or against a, a candidate. Uh, so much of what Congress has been has been considering for over a generation has been uh, about the way money is spent in campaigns. Uh, and we know a lot now that, you know, Citizens United versus FEC, a big Supreme Court case in 2010, overturned much of the restrictions on non-candidate groups, outside groups, from the way they funded their uh, elections, uh, such that uh, now uh, there are very few restrictions on what um, uh, folks can, can do to sponsor TV ads, uh, how they can be funded and who can pay for them. Uh, there are, uh, in fact, more restrictions on what candidates and political parties can do with their funds than, than what the outside groups uh, can do. So uh, the, the flow of campaign finance laws and the debate in Congress about them uh, has uh, directly impacted and been about, in many ways, the, the political advertising and its, its uh, ubiquitousness in our political system. Now, now, Travis, one of the things that these campaign finance regulations have had trouble dealing with is the rise of digital media and exactly how to regulate the various ways that, that one can now use all the different outlets that are available in the digital format. Um, how are digital advertising options changing in some significant ways, the advertising game? Is it empowering new players? Is it changing what we hear from candidates? Tell us about the this new world that we're living in. It, it is indeed a new world. Uh, we make a distinction in the book between earned online media, which is, I think, more like the traditional television advertising in a sense that the campaigns pay to have their ads show on a particular website, uh, maybe a newspaper's website, um, and there is some regulation of that, um, but so much of what's going on online is uh, what is earned online media. In other words, it's trying to get a video to go viral on YouTube, on Facebook, um, through other social media channels. And so, and of course, the campaigns aren't paying for that type of advertising. And so the trick is designing something that is going to be um, catch the attention of people who are online. It's going to make someone uh, click on that, send it to their friends. And so it is kind of this, this vast world that's by and large unregulated. Now, Erica, you, you must watch more political ads um, than, than just about anyone. Um, has there been an advertisement in this presidential cycle that has caught your eye, either for how effective or ineffective it appears to you as an expert? Um, yeah, I will say that we have watched many, many, many ads. I will say that our the students who work for our project may see even more than I have personally. Right. <laughs> and we're very grateful for their work. Um, as for advertising that's 
this cycle, I would say, I mean, and I, I welcome Mike and Travis's thoughts as well. What what strikes me the most about this current presidential cycle is is the lack of the standout ad. Actually, I I I have yet to see one that really um, that really stands out as being unique or different. I, there are lots of there are lots of them out there. There are lots of them that. Um, are, are gaining some traction, and I think um, you know some of the most effective ads this cycle um, are not necessarily the ones that are um, negative or attacking. I think Bernie Sanders ads have really you know taken gotten high scores in part because they are um, uplifting. Um, but I think you know at, on the whole that that most of the ads this cycle tend to be using the same sort of playbook, um, and and I think in this stage, especially it's, it, it's becoming a different story now as the Republican race is really, you know, narrowing in. But if you look at, you know, Jeb Bush was up on the air for ages um, very early on. And what's striking in particular about the the Right to Rise, his super PAC that was up on air, you know, they were, when they started attacking his opponents, they were not just going after one directly initially, they were going after all of them. So this one ad that zeroes in on the Oval Office, and they have multiple candidates appearing behind the desk and giving you reasons why you should not vote for each one of them in a 30-second ad. That's really a hard message to convey. Um, and so, I, I think, at least from my perspective, that that there hasn't been one that's really stood out in the way that um, ads in, in prior cycles have. I'd be curious to see what, what Mike and, and Travis think, but I'm, I'm comparing it in particular to, so for example, in 2014 when Joni Ernst wheel ad, um, which has this really um, clever play on on um, pork, uh, both in the farming context and the governmental context, really catches on and becomes this sensation that I had. There hasn't been something like that, um, at least that I've seen this so far. The cycle. Yeah, and Mike, what do you think? Is is the pace of advertising what you expected? Is this a surprise that um, we're not seeing some of the creativity or the the standouts that, that we have come to expect, given the increasing amounts of money, and I would have to think increasingly smart people who are getting into the advertising game, how come they haven't produced a an ad yet that has caught our attention? Well, you know, it's I, in part because I think this is sort of a catch-22 in many ways for, for campaigns, or it's sort of a tough spot to be in. On the one hand, they want to design an ad that uh, stands out at and goes viral in ways that Travis and Erica have, have discussed, gets a lot of, of free coverage. And those ads tend to be the ones that do something really uh, almost outrageous, you know, showing um, uh, a candidate shooting a gun or, or shooting, uh, you know, something, holding a gun to a camera or talking about, you know, being witches or something. And, uh, and they're kind of so far out there that we, we talk about them and they run viral. But, the, the campaigns that are probably the most effective, I would say, are the ones that we would assume professional ad makers actually make, which is a more traditional ad that's you know well put together, shows the candidate surrounded by uh, his or her family or walking down Main Street, uh, and, and doesn't necessarily stick in our brains as a sort of outrageous or really a, a sort of something insane but uh, is, is designed to leave a, sort of a, a subconscious message for us in the, in the short term, really, something that's a message about policy or a message about 
um, the candidate's background that we just think is really great, but we don't necessarily think the ad itself is anything new um, or, or innovative. And so campaigns want to do those things. They don't want to make too many waves about, you know, um, uh, sort of brand new types of formats, but they also want to, their message to be spread. So I think that might be, you know, one of the reasons why we haven't seen uh, those kinds of ads this cycle. The campaigns are investing a lot in trying to, to do just traditionally good ads. The thing that stands out for me, or the thing that I find really fascinating, and we'll see how it plays out in congressional elections and in the presidential cycle, and this may affect the kinds of ads we're watching, is the presence of these outside groups, the, the super PACs, the ones that have been emboldened by recent court cases, the ones that can spend unlimited sources of funds uh, and raise them in unlimited amounts, they're uh, uh, advocating for candidates in ways that we've never seen before. They're, they're pushing their, uh, their preferred candidates with millions and millions of dollars, and they can't coordinate the candidates. So the ads that they make may not necessarily be the kinds of ads that the campaign would prefer to have on the air. And, and that's a kind of uh, question, comparing the sort of content of campaign ads from candidates and from groups, supportive groups, that is, uh, is something we, we want to spend a lot of time on uh, in our analysis. Yeah, and, and, and Travis, just, just to wrap up, we um, have been talking mainly about kind of the, the election that we're in right now and the, the ads we've seen. But, but what about what we might see over the next eight months as congressional candidates start to enter our, our conversation as uh, uh Candidates at the state and even the local level start to get involved in, in campaign advertising. Are there things that we can either look forward to or not look forward to, depending on how you view political ads? Well, I think it's safe to say uh, the presidential general election race is going to be a pretty negative race this year. Um, the way to uh, defeat Donald Trump, I think a lot of of uh, the political analysts agree is to tear him down to start going negative and we're already starting to see that with the commitment um, by some outside groups to spend at least 10 million dollars to run negative ads to try to at least prevent him from getting the republican nomination um, democrats are already plotting their uh, anti-trump strategy and you know, if Hillary Clinton is the Democratic nomination, uh, you're going to see a lot of negativity against her as well. So I, you know, I'm not saying it will be negativity at an unprecedented level, but I think we we have a pretty negative race to look forward to. Well, that is um, quite a note to end our conversation on, uh, particularly because the book you have written collectively is is so enjoyable again the title political advertising in the united states published by erica mike and travis by westview press thank you all for your time today i really enjoyed the conversation thank you thank you it was great